Um, here at the Berean Church, we, we prefer, when it comes time for sermon time, something that's called expository preaching, which just means we take a book at a Bible, one book at a time, and we just kind of go one paragraph, or in this case, one story at a time, and exposit the Word, which just means find the truth in here and bring it out uh, for us. And we prefer that for a number of, of different reasons. One thing is, it won't let me skip difficult or uncomfortable passages. And that's true in some ways uh, this morning. I know that Struggling with infertility is an extremely painful situation, and some of you know that more than me, but then here you come to church and your big, bald preacher um, wants to preach two weeks in a row about that sort of pain. I don't want to add to your pain, I, you know, I care about that, um, but, but here we are. We don't skip things. And, and last week, we started the book of 1 Samuel. And we met the first main character in the book. And the first hero in the book was a woman named Hannah. And Hannah, we learned enough to know last week that she had been unable to have children for quite some time. Here's how we know it was a long time. Uh, she got married to a man named Elkanah. And Elkanah loved her very much, but... Apparently, they had tried and tried and tried until the point where Elkanah realized that Hannah was not going to bear children. So he married a second wife to secure heirs for himself. And by the time we got to her story, the second wife, Panina was her name, had been able to have multiple children, which I don't know if you know this, but that takes some time under normal circumstances. So that is is when we met Hannah. And I want you to know this morning that Hannah had all of the, the same pain that, that any of you may have felt from infertility, just the, miss, the sense of what she was missing out on, um, the, um, the sense of not living up to this, quote, ideal of womanhood or whatever that pain is that some of you know far better than I do. She had all of that, but then there were some other things in her culture, which we're talking about 3,000 years ago, half a world away, some things were very different. And in 1,000 years B.C. Israel, here were some other issues for Hannah. Infertility had some real financial ramifications for a family. Whatever, you know, if you were a woman in that culture, whatever business your husband was in, that was the family business. It's what your especially sons were going to work in. And the more children, the more sons especially your family had, the more work that could be done, the more that business could grow. If uh, your husband's family was depending upon that next generation to keep the business going, that could have some real financial ramifications. Also, the, the Hebrew law, the Old Testament law, required that children take care of their parents. Now, 
daughters joined a different family. So the burden of taking care of elderly parents legally was that of the sons. Well, if you don't have any sons, if you don't have any children, that Hannah would have someday become a widow, probably. And she would have become the burden of some extended family. No one wants to feel like that. And then, in all of these ancient cultures in that part of the world, they, for their survival, they depended upon having lots of young men. That was the national defense system. So, so children were the social security system. They were long-term care insurance. They were also, they were the army. They were enough young men kept the neighboring people groups from thinking they could come in and whip us. So in a very real way, she wasn't doing her patriotic duty. No part of her own. And then she had this, this woman in her life, Panina, who had lots of children who loved to rub her face in the fact that Hannah couldn't. And that's why in last week's passage, we saw Hannah Something sort of snapped inside of this woman while she was at the tabernacle. It would be like for us going to church, only different. But And she left the, uh, the meal part of the service and went back into the tabernacle and absolutely fell apart emotionally. And last week she gave her pain and her heart and her greatest desires to God. Last week, she made a vow that let us know that here's what happened inside of Hannah. In last week's passage, before we pick up this morning, Hannah's gotten to the point where she has told God, I used to want children for my security, for my hope, for my purpose in life. And apparently she realized I was trying to get those things from the wrong source. Not just because I'm not going to have children, but because there's a better source for those things. God. And we can tell that's what she did because she makes this vow. It says, I'm going to get my hope and security and purpose from you alone, and I want to demonstrate that. So if I ever have a son... I'm not going to keep him. I'm going to come back here to the tabernacle and give him to be adopted by the priest so that he can just serve you directly, God, for his whole life. That's where we pick up today. Today we're going to see Hannah fulfill that vow. So we're going to read page 282 on the Pew Bibles. If you'd like to have one of those open. That would be great if you didn't bring your own or you don't have your device. But page 282, we're going to read 1 Samuel 121. We're actually going to stop at 210 because the main part of this, this passage is going to be a song Hannah wrote for this occasion when she gave her son up for adoption. So by the time we open up, Hannah has been able to have a, a son his name is Samuel, and that's, that's where we pick up in verse 21. Then the man Elkanah, that's Hannah's husband, he went up with all of his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned. Then I'll bring him up, 
that he may appear before the Lord and stay there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with a, this says three-year-old bull, it's probably three bulls, and one ephah of flour and a whole jug of wine. And, and he brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was still young. Then the family or the priest slaughtered the bulls and brought the boy to Eli. And she said to Eli, Oh, my Lord, your soul, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you, falling apart and praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Then Hannah prayed the following psalm or song and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there's no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and with Him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are shattered, but the feeble gird on strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren woman gives birth to seven But the woman who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave, Sheol, and raises up. The Lord makes poor, and He makes rich. He brings low, He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and He set the world on them. Verse 9. He keeps the feet of His godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. Those who contend with the Lord will be shattered. Against them He will thunder in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And He will give strength to His King. And he will exalt the horn of his anointed. That's our passage this morning. And again, so last week Hannah was at the end of her rope, despondent over her infertility, and she's different this week. The main thing, what this whole passage builds to, is that that song. It is, it's, a, it's called a prayer, and it is that. But it's a song. And I think if I would have stopped and not read the song and asked you, what do you think Hannah's song is going to be about? She was so distraught over her infertility. Now she has a son. She's going to praise God. What do you think she will say? Here's what I think would be the logical thing we would expect to see in that song. I used to be despondent 
over my infertility, and now I have joy because I have a son. I used to be really scared about my future, the financial and long-term care implications of my infertility, and now I rejoice in my future because I have a son. I, now I can join the world of motherhood and rub elbows with all the other moms because I have a son. I used to be sad, and now I'm happy because I have a son. Thank you, God. Wouldn't that be a logical thing to read? It would. It's just not at all what's there. Whatever Hannah's song is about, it can't be about how her life has been changed because she's a mom now. You know why? Because she's voluntarily going back to childlessness. She's giving that future away. She's putting him up for adoption. So why is she so different? That's what we want to figure out today. First, we want to just overview the story, sort of the plot of this true story. After Samuel is born, uh, we're told here that Elkanah and his husband and Samuel's dad continues to take his family to Shiloh where the tabernacle is for those worship services. They keep going. Hannah doesn't go. But it's not because it's way too hard to go to church now that I have kids because they are such a handful. That's not it at all. Hannah says... She has, she has vowed in her heart, the next time I go there, I'm not just presenting bowls and wine and flour. I'm giving my son to the Lord next time I go. And I can't do that yet, because in that day, in those days before like formula and baby food and all that stuff, he couldn't survive without his mama. So she waits. And Okana says, okay, if you're sure about this, have my blessing. So the, the day comes when he is weaned. He's old enough to only eat big boy food. Uh, he's probably all toilet trained. And uh, they head out. The, the books tell me that in that time, it's probably two and a half, three years old before they were fully weaned because their, their diets were so sort of Spartan that youngins needed fed that long. So then... Verses 23, really, through 28, they head for Shiloh for Hannah to fulfill her vow. She does something really cool. Hannah is not someone to short God. She probably has missed three years' worth of trips to the tabernacle. So what she does, I won't go back into the law, but she brings three times the amount needed for, her sacri- for a sacrifice. Instead of one bull, she brings Three bulls. There's enough uh, question in the Hebrew. It really could be a one three-year-old bull. Maybe she's been saving the one bull and it's three times as big. But uh, the rest of this is all three times the amount. The law says she should bring one-third of an ephah of flour. She brings the whole ephah of flour three times. She should bring, according to the law, one-third of a really a skin of wine. She brings a whole skin of wine. Three times because... Probably she's missed 
three years. She goes, she sees Eli the priest, the guy that saw her fall apart three years before, and says, oh, basically, sir, I'm that gal that fell apart so bad you thought I was drunk. Remember that? Yeah, that was me. You said, oh, boy, I hope God gives you what you're praying for. I want you to know he did. Because here he is. I was praying for this toddler. And God gave him to me so that I can give him back. The last line, really the plot of the story, um, says, and he worshiped the Lord there. That's not Samuel. That's not three-year-old Samuel that worships the Lord there. It's the priest. It's the high priest, Eli. What we learn there is this. Eli accepted her plan. He accepted the sacrifices and the child. And so he leads the family through the rest of the worship service, which would have included that fellowship meal we talked about last week, where they sit down as a family and they have a meal together with God. And that is their family worship. And Hannah, Hannah wrote a song for the occasion. Listen, she worships God because she's leaving her toddler to be adopted by this priest, who, by the way, is a terrible dad. Come back next week and we'll learn about that. She doesn't worship God in spite of this pain, but because of it. Can you imagine what kind of pain this mama is in? Her three-year-old Can we be right, I mean right in the middle of God's will? Can we be right where God wants us to be and experience excruciatingly painful things? Apparently we can. Every time life hurts, friends, it does not mean you're doing everything wrong. It does not mean God is punishing you. Sometimes our pain comes because we are doing stuff wrong. Sometimes our pain comes because someone else is doing something wrong that hurts us. Sometimes our pain comes because this world is broken and God uses pain for His good. But how can a mom stand up and sing a song of praise to mark the event where she leaves her only child behind. This song is about Hannah's realization that nothing in my life, nothing in my son's life is actually about me or my son. It's all about God. God doesn't exist for me. I exist for God. God doesn't exist to give me what I want if I figure out how to behave right and pray hard enough and believe just right and claim everything and then God will give me what I want. That's not what He's here for. I am here to give Him what He deserves. That's why she's the hero of the first two chapters of this book. 
And so she writes this song, this praise hymn, to mark this occasion. Again, it's so important to understand, this is not, I was so sad because I was barren, and, and now I want to praise God because I have a baby. She doesn't have a baby. She's leaving a baby. She didn't sing this song when she had Samuel. She sings this song when she gives him up. There's three sections to this song. Let's dig through this and see what's in here. First is Hannah's personal response to God receiving her son into the temple system. So Hannah begins, and she says, my heart exults. Exults is just an old school word that just means um, to show triumphant uh, elation. She's super, super happy. That's what that means. But notice, my heart doesn't exult because I have a child now, right? She's leaving a child. My heart exults in the Lord. I still have him. I'm not leaving him. She says, my horn is exalted in the Lord. And I know what you're thinking. I didn't know this gal had horns. Right? She doesn't. Um, horn is, is an ancient and a very common symbol of power and strength. Think of the animal world. If two deer, two bucks are going to fight for dominance, guess which one is probably going to win? The one with the biggest antlers. I tricked you. Horns, Right? Uh, she says, look at what she says. My power, my strength is not in how many children I can have. That's what it was three years ago, but not now. See, she's giving away her social security. She's giving away her long-term care insurance. She's giving away all that, but she still has her power and her strength. Because it's in the Lord. When she says, my mouth speaks boldly against or smiles at my enemies, it's not because you, they used to talk bad about me because I couldn't have kids. Well, take a look at this guy. That's not what this is. This is, I still have your salvation. And again, it's, this is not God saving her from childlessness because she's going back into childlessness voluntarily she has salvation from god that's where her heart is now she says in verse two no one like god there's no peer there's no one beside god he doesn't have peers there's there's no rock like our god that is a foundation the wise man builds his house upon the rock. Um, in the Psalms, the rock is a high place where you want to fight from, the good ground in a battle. Again, this is Hannah writing poetically, what I used to want to build my life upon is lots of kids. There's, no, there's nothing better to build a life upon than God. And that's why she says, 
Verse 3. That's why she gives this advice. Don't boast in what you can accomplish, in what you can acquire, in what you can collect, in what you can have. Because God knows everything and with Him actions are weighed. Hannah says, um, it's not going to do anyone any good to get everything this world desire, that makes you desire and then stand before God to have God ask you this, what did you do with me? Second part of this song, verses 4 through 8 of chapter 2, is, is Hannah's explanation of why it's so foolish to build a life on anything besides God. Verses 4 through 8 are full of all these uh, seemingly contradictory or paradoxical statements. She says, The bows of the mighty, so the armies of the world wind up getting shattered and feeble weaklings wind up being strong. See, God turns everything upside down. The weak wind up being strong. The strong wind up being weak. It says, the people who were full and had plenty of eat, any, plenty to eat wind up hiring themselves out. will work for food. God turns things upside down. But those who were hungry will cease to hunger. It says the, a barren woman winds up giving birth to perfect number of children symbolized by number seven. While the woman who had all the children who she thought she could ever desire winds up realizing, she languishes, she realizes this didn't do for me what I hoped. I don't know if you're aware of this, but children can cause as many problems as they solve. Stick around next week, we'll see an example of that. I mean, not our babies, but other people's kids. Then she says this, verse 6, the Lord kills and makes alive. The Lord brings people down to the grave and, and takes people who are one step from the grave and raises them back up to health. And then check this out. The Lord makes some poor and some rich. May I have a problem with that one? Here's what Hannah would say. If you look around and have more than most people, it wasn't you who did it. If you look around and see that most people have more than you, God did that to you too. What do you think about that? That's really clearly what she says. I think that's true. I think it is. It's really easy if we have more than most. It's really tempting to look at what I've amassed and what I've achieved and what I've accomplished and buy into this idea that that says something is really special about me. Hannah says... God put you there. What is important is not what you have amassed because again, 
you're one day going to stand before God and what He's going to ask you is not how many acres you farm, How many head you run? How many games you win? How much money was in your account? How'd your investments do? He's going to say, what did you do with me? What did you do with what I gave you and where I put you? By the same token, it's really easy to be on the other side and look around, and every, most people seem to have more than I do. And it's, it's really easy to fall into bitterness against those who have more, maybe even bitterness at the God who put you where you're at. And how come I have to be here eating tuna fish when that guy gets to be over there eating steak and shrimp? Just one day you're going to stand before God and He's going to ask you the same question. What did you do with me where I planted you with what I gave you? And Hannah has caught a glimpse of how God does his best work. And what she's come to realize is God tends to do his best work through the ones the world overlooks. That's what all this is about, where, man, God takes the mighty armies and gets them whipped. God takes this little people group who had been slaves and tells them to march around a city and blow a trumpet, and the walls fall down. God tends to choose the younger brother, not the older. God works through the barren women. Read your Old Testament. Read your New Testament. And find out how many times God goes to work through women who were unable to have children. Listen, that's the bottom of the social totem pole in ancient Israel. It's not now. But it was then. In this book, when God's ready to pick a king, He's going to say, no, 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 not the old one, not the one that looks like a king. Go get the baby of the family who's out tending sheep and goats. God tends to work through the forgotten and the marginalized. You know why? Because God can only work through those who understand they are weak and helpless before God. And so God tends to work through people like Hannah so the rest of the world will go, hey, wait a second. Maybe what I amass for myself is not as important as what I do with Hannah's God. It's always been this way. The Apostle Paul said it this way. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise he chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world, the hated things of the world. And he says, he just chooses the things that are not to go to work on the people who think they are. Why? So that no one can boast. And then as Hannah closes this song of hers, she alludes to the fact that how God dealt with me, how God dealt with Hannah, is how God's going to save the whole world. Save the nation, but save the whole world. Hannah says in verse 9, see, it's not the wealthy and the powerful and the most accomplished who are going to stand before God. It's the 
the godly ones. The wicked are going to be silenced. It doesn't matter how, how much they amassed while they were alive. And I love this line. It's not by might shall a man prevail. You could translate that this way. It's not by your own strength that you will win. It's not by your own strength that you will prevail. The only chance you or I or anyone else has of prevailing when it matters is not because we were strong, but because He was. And God tends to work through the weak. Jesus didn't save us because He was strong. Jesus saved us because He allowed Himself to be weak. Those who contend with the Lord, I think, by making anything else the foundation of their life, well, those who contend with the Lord by making anything else the foundation of their life will wind up shattered. Doesn't matter what they've done. Doesn't matter how much they have. Doesn't matter who looked up to them. Because the Lord is going to judge every single person to the ends of the earth. And then, this is amazing to me. This is the most incredible two verses of the book so far. As Hannah says, He, he God will give strength to His king. He will exalt the horn of his anointing. You know why that's amazing? Because when Hannah starts talking about Israel's king, Israel doesn't have a king. But it's more than that. When Hannah starts talking about Israel's king, Israel's never had a king. Ever. And through the Holy Spirit, she seems to know that Israel's going to. And in this book, they're going to get the right king. His name's going to be David. And again, he's going to be a He's going to be chosen when he's weak to become strong. But David is just a, he's just a picture of the king who's to come. And God will give God's strength to his real king. He will exalt the horn. What's horn mean? Strength, power. God will raise up the horn of his anointed well, quick Hebrew lesson. You got time for a Hebrew lesson? Guess how you say the word anoint that gets translated anointed in Hebrew? Mashiach, which is Messiah. God will exalt the power of his Messiah. Now, I am I don't plan well enough to do this, but I'm so glad we're about to go to this table to celebrate communion this morning. Because Hannah just wrote this song about how God does His best work through the week. How God gives His strength, takes His strength and works through the forgotten, the lowly, the weak. And there's no better picture of that than what we're going to celebrate at this table. Because God's strength worked through His weakness. The power of Jesus Christ to save people like us was not because of His power to work miracles and calm storms and heal people and all those things. It was by His willingness to be weak and helpless. To be exploited and rejected.
that's why we're going to celebrate this. Before we do, I just want to give you a minute to answer this question just in your own hearts. What are the things? What are the things you try to build your life on that makes you feel strong, powerful, independent, worthy, impressive, good enough. The hero of the first part of this book is the woman that God allowed to not have what she wanted to build her life on so that she could have what she should build her life on. He allowed and caused all of that pain just so Hannah can say, I've been trying to get my foundation off the sinking sand. Even if it's good, even my even kids can't give me what you can. What are those things you try to build your life upon? Don't wait. Don't wait until God takes it all the ways until you have no choice but to fall down in front of him for two reasons. One, you may not need to go through that pain, and two, he might not give it, which is actually worse. He may just let you keep chasing and chasing and chasing something that's far worse than him. You stand before him one day and he says, So, what'd you do with me? And you'll say, Oh dear. Let's pray. And we'll go before the Lord in communion. Father God, I'm so grateful for the example of Hannah. She just, I, I just have grown over two weeks to love her so much for being willing to see her pain as coming from you and being good, to see that example of someone who would give what is most precious in the world away to the one who created the world, to see the example of someone who understood my life is not about me. My life is the one about the one who gave it to me. God, I'm so grateful for how this points to the way you did your best work through weakness. You allowed your son to be rejected, humiliated, to become acquainted with grief and pierced for our transgressions. You saved through weakness. So God as we consider our own, what we've tried to build our life upon, maybe maybe during this time of communion, you would lead some of us to lay that down to you to pursue what is better. And then God, just help us to remember the weakness of your Son and how your strength comes to save sinners like us only through the one who became the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As the guys come forward to to hand out the bread, Lord, we commit this time to you as 
as some of us sing and some of us just uh, think and, and pray, um, as the bread comes around, we all just think and pray, God, I just pray you'd meet with every one of us, commune with each one of us in the way you need to do work in our hearts right now. Bless our time with the bread. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.